Dear Heavenly Father, once again on the Thursday night, we gather together in your name. And Lord, we ask that you would give us instruction and encouragement from your word. We ask that you bless our time together and our service for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. If you need an outline, I think we still have some back there. And we are dealing with wine and the Bible with application to other intoxicating substances and probably ought to put in behaviors in there. And uh, tonight, what we're going to talk about a little bit, uh, not a little bit, but what we're going to deal with is the one of the problems of alcohol, one of the, re, one of the most dangerous things that happens under the influence of alcohol is the rules of reality or the edges of reality are, are warped. And um, we live in a world where uh, virtue, virtual reality is a reality. I mean, you can put on your Google glasses if you still have a pair of those, or uh, you can uh, sit there in an immersive uh, 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 creation of your own and make yourself anything you want to be. Uh, one of the reasons people like internet chat rooms is because they can be whoever or whatever they think they could be. And uh, that is one of the reasons why we recommend you stay away from those things. The, the idea of escapism is not just taking a break. That is the connection that almost everyone makes is a, uh, as they're trying to deal with this, it's the same way with the, um, uh, when we talk about moderate drinking uh, or moderate use of alcohol, that doesn't happen. I mean, it can and it does in certain times, but... The, uh, the, the primary thing that alcohol is, is a, a deadly poison. It changes. The first drink alters your reality. You'll meet people, one drink, and they are the life of the party. Two drinks, and you're carrying them out on a stretcher. Uh, the other people, they get mean, and uh, they want to fight, and how many poor mostly women and children, though I have run into cases where the woman gets drunk and beats the husband up. Uh, I mean, it, it has happened, and it does happen, and people laugh, and you no, know, uh, it goes all the way. Because what alcohol does when it gets into the bloodstream, it goes to the part of your brain where the decision-making process is. In alcoholics, the first part of their brain that deteriorates is the part where you make decisions. And people think that alcohol is a stimulant because they're happy and they uh, laugh and these things with just a little bit of alcohol. But really what it does is it begins to disconnect the ability of the brain to control the body. Now, there are reasons why certain people, certain individuals, are more susceptible to certain habitual destructive behaviors than others. But I want you to understand, every one of us in this room is capable of destroying our lives through poor behavior. And it was the Apostle Paul that said, but I keep under. He said, lest when I have preached to others, I myself might be a castaway. Now, if the Apostle Paul was worried about that, shouldn't we be? And people will use a multitude of excuses, stress, Lack of success, expectations not realized, whether they're realistic or not. Uh, uh, people say, I'm a failure in life, so what will we do? Drink. Uh, I call it 
the walking into the storm syndrome. Your car's broken down, you've got a blizzard going on outside, things are very dangerous, so what am I going to do? I'm going to put on my coat and hat and go walking in the blizzard to try to get help. Number one best way to die. Stay with the vehicle. Just don't turn it on when the snow piles up past the tailpipe. Amen? Uh, but that, that is a mentality that we, we have. Uh, people say, nobody loves me, but, but people like me when I'm drunk. And, and uh, no, it's just that you don't have enough sense to understand what they're doing and what they're saying when you're drunk. Amen? Uh, it's just a total disconnect from reality. People say, uh, uh, you know, they have a failure in a relationship, and so they'll go out and drink. People hate themselves. Uh, if you read any kind of um, literature on the subject, I, I, I was looking at an article, and, and it said, oh, download this book, and I found it was 304 pages of instruction on the culture of addiction. And it actually had a quiz in there where you could take the heroin addict and help them understand how to use the needles properly and inject the substance. And I'm sitting here going, you're helping the person be a better addict. You're helping the person be better at escaping from reality. That's... That's not what we want. Some people, it's just peer pressure. They, they, everyone is doing it. And I'll promise you this, everyone isn't doing anything. You see, we're in church here tonight, so everyone can't be doing it. Amen? Uh, the, the, the great lie of the devil. And people look for escapes simply because... They're not satisfied with what's real. How many of you have ever heard the term midlife crisis? And uh, I'll tell you what, uh, I'm not sure where or when that's supposed to happen, but I just haven't had time to worry about that, and I don't think I'm going to take time. Amen? Uh, we... Here's why you have a midlife crisis, is you get halfway or two-thirds through your life, and you realize you've wasted it. Why wouldn't you have a crisis? And again, what is the most natural result? To go do all the stupid things that you didn't have a chance to do when you were younger. Uh, and uh, it, it, it is not the... Um, there is a reality that you can have in Jesus Christ, and we're going to get to that in just a moment here, that you don't need to escape from. The Bible is not an escape from the world. The Bible is the reality that you can live with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are many types of escapes, and we'll just talk about them for a minute here. Of course, we're talking about wine and alcohol is the main part of this lesson, and that is probably the most easily, easily obtained and um, uh, readily available escape that you can get. Of course, you can get almost any type of drug today. Uh, how many are familiar with binge TV watching, and people will just plug it in and watch 40 episodes in a row until you're just sitting there going, ah. why? Because you want to get rid of what you're thinking about. You turn up your music real loud. Um, video games, especially the role-playing games. I remember the first time I even heard about this. Uh, my wife and I were on deputation, and we were in the uh, Chicago area at this church. It was around the 4th of July, and they had a picnic, and, and so we were at the church, and they invited us there, and a gentleman in the church said, uh, I got this new computer game. I want you to come over 
to my house. And so my wife went there and I went there and um, he and I sat down at this computer screen and this was uh, Johnny Janitor falls into a spaceship and gets accidentally launched into space and ends up trying to save the universe from the evil Gorp monster. And I mean, it just... And you're sitting there going... And, and the guy was so wrapped up in it. He had the cheat sheet right there. And, and when, when he failed and you got eaten or killed, then he would just back up the program, pull out the cheat sheet. What do I need to do here? And, and uh, it was all night. It was 11 o'clock at night and he's still going on that. I'm going, I want to go home. And yet people will, people have committed suicide because of video games. People have lost their families, their life. They, that's all they do. The, one of the escapes is perversion of all, all kinds. The Bible calls it simply uncleanness. And you can put anything in there. We're not going to take time to name all the different things. And, and some people just ball up in a little ball and refuse to talk to anybody. I'm just not going to deal with it. And each one of these patterns isolate us from both God and other human beings. You know why there's a church? Because God wants you to interact with other human beings. It's a need to be around people. It's a need to be close to God. Amen? And just an aside here, 1 John chapter 5 and verse three tells, or 2 tells us, And hereby we know that we love the children of God. If I want to love people, what do I do? I keep His commandments. You see... Being obedient to God will bring me into contact in a good way, a positive way. And that doesn't necessarily mean everybody I come into contact is going to enjoy it because people don't want to hear the gospel. But I am going to have purpose. I'm going to have all of those things that people are running away from because they don't have them. Now, does it make sense if you don't have something to run farther away from it? When you want it. No, but that's what escapism is. It's just simply turning our back on the very things. Let's, let's look at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And, and we're going to cover some familiar passages, maybe in a little different light than uh, we might uh, more often cover them. But verse... Uh, chapter 12 of the book of Hebrews. And, and let's just go down through this passage here. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be weary and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Now, what Paul's simply saying here is, when he ends that in verse 4, you have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin, what he's simply saying is, you're not dead yet. And if you're alive, God has a race for you to run. He has a purpose. Now, how many of us are willing to accept that purpose that God has for our lives. You see, if I will accept that purpose, I've just disconnected 
three or four of the main reasons why people seek escapes. Because the expectations aren't being met. The, the, uh, I am failing at things that I should be good at. You know, one of the things that we, we need to understand. Why did God have to save me? Because I can't save myself. That's the first reason. Amen? Because there's no other alternative. If God doesn't save me, I am forever lost. And he has a purpose for me. He wants me to run this race. Now look what it says here. Let us lay aside every weight. Do you know that we can put ourselves under a great deal of stress. I've known preachers that have ruined themselves for the ministry of the gospel because they didn't achieve certain a level of success that they thought that they should achieve. How many of you know someone that just flunked out of life where you work? They, they couldn't hack it. Uh, in, in our military... When we train those special forces, everybody hears about the special forces. But do you realize that the success level is normally somewhere between, depending on the program, between 50 to 1, upwards of 200 to 1. Meaning that 200 regular soldiers fail before one soldier passes the test. Why is it so high? Because when you're jumping out of a helicopter in the middle of the night into a hot zone, your friends, your men that are with you in that mission can't take time to pat you on the back, can't take time to coddle you. If you snap, they die. Now, what we're talking about here is eternity with Jesus Christ. And Jesus has a better plan than our United States military does. Because what the military does is they bring these guys in and they flunk them out and flunk them out until they get the number of guys that they need to pass the test. And then they send them into battle and oftentimes they come back broken in ways that only God can fix them. It's, it's a tragic story. But here's what Jesus does. He can take anybody and he can make us run the race. He can use anyone to be his servant. Many times I'll put it this way. How many of you are glad that God is patient? You say amen about that. That God does not give up on us. And there is no need for God to give up on anybody. But here's, here's what he says. He says that we need to lay aside every weight. Now there was one of the great baseball players of many years ago. His name was Ty Cobb. He was known as the meanest man in baseball when he played Many, many, many years ago. And he had uh, the base stealing records and he always came in with his spikes up. Uh, and, uh, but one of the ways that he trained was he would put steel plates in his shoe. Now, I wonder what your podiatrist would say about that. And uh, he would put weights in his shoes and he would run the bases and play ball and then before the game started, he would take them out. And he said, I felt light as a feather. And sometimes you'll see the uh, ball players; they'll put the, the rings on the bats to, to put extra weight. And they'll practice. And then they always take them off before they try to hit the ball, right? Uh, because it makes the bat feel lighter. And how many of you have heard those really gross commercials about all those things that's inside your body that you need to get out that's making you bloated? And I mean, I'm not going to go into details, but if you've heard the commercials, they're sick, you know. And uh, yet, here's what we do 
when we're serving Christ. We weigh ourselves down with the cares of this world, sometimes carrying other people's animosity toward us, carrying other people's sins and problems. Uh, Bible, uh, uh, not the Bible, but um, um, the... Oh, the people are supposed to know these things call it the Messiah complex where a person begins to believe that they can solve your problems. You see, the most wonderful thing about Jesus Christ is only He can solve the problems. Not me. Not you. You can't solve anybody else's problems. We've got to lay aside those weights. That doesn't mean we ignore people. That doesn't mean we don't pray for people. That doesn't mean we don't encourage people to seek biblical answers. But the bottom line is, if you're going to run that race, you've got to get rid of those extra things that are hindering you. Or, you're not going to be running the race. You know what bitterness does and anger it takes the very energy you need to solve the problem and wastes it. Just puts it up in smoke. The Bible says, lay aside every weight, and then it says, and the sin which just so easily beset you. And as a young man, I heard many preachers preach a sermon on besetting sins, but the, the word beset simply means to surround, to lay siege to. You know, that's what escapism does. It, it locks you in. The problem with escapes, escapism, uh, living a life that runs away from the problems instead of solving the problems, is the problems just get bigger, don't they? How many of you, well, don't raise your hand. But if you've ever had an IRS problem, it won't go away. It will only get bigger, trust me. And uh, you better get a good lawyer, somebody knows what they're doing, and you got to get started on it now. As painful and as terrifying as that is, uh, no matter what you do, if you have a cancer problem, it's not going away. You better get a good doctor. You better start dealing with it now. Amen? But if we do not get rid of that sin, the sin is going to lay siege to our soul. See, here's what escapes do. is I'm under stress. I just need to relax. I need to unwind. And so I have a half a glass of wine. And it will just relax me. It will unwind me. Well, pretty soon, well, let me just put a little more in there. I read one of the saddest series of posts that I'm depressed, so I, I just drink. And, and I can't stop. And, uh, and the person that answered them said, try to have an alcohol-free day. And the next post was, I've gone two weeks without an alcohol-free day. I am depressed. I'm going to go get some more. Uh, sounds like the book of Proverbs, doesn't it? I felt it not, they stricken me, and I felt it not, I will seek it yet again. You see, the escape becomes a prison. And it's no longer an escape. It's now a trap, isn't it? And this is what addictive behavior does to us. If we are going to run the race, we're going to have to Lay aside those weights, whatever slows us down. And we're going to have to lay aside the sin. And sin is just, it so easily besets us. How many of you have ever done something wrong? And then you try to cover it up. And then you have to cover up the cover up. And then you have to, and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger until you can't move. 
and you just have to start over again. This is, this is what the Bible is telling us because we, we look what Jesus did here. In a few minutes, we're going to deal with this. But it says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want you to understand something. And this is what Jesus is trying, this is what Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, we don't know if it's Paul or not, most of us believe it was, but Jesus understood there was a time limit on the cross. There were only so many things that needed to be fulfilled. A mother, when she gives birth, the same thing. Hey, there's going to be an end to this thing. There are some people that just lose it completely and they have to put them to sleep and do everything. But if you'll understand, hey, this is temporary. And, and there's a very good end. I'll tell you, there's nothing like taking a newborn baby as bizarre as they look. Uh, I remember when one of ours was born, she had a little cone head and was just purple because of some of the complications when she was born. But you'd never know what to look at her today. You see, we... We think that I can't go on. We think we can't make another step forward. But if Jesus has asked you to, you can. Because it is his power that allows us to live the Christian life. If you're living the Christian life on your own efforts, you're going to run out of you. There's no question about that. But if you'll run that race with patience, if you'll run it God's way, He will always supply what is necessary. How many are familiar with 1 Corinthians 13? And that should actually be verse 10, not verse 1. Uh, or verse 11. Let's just turn there and make sure I got the reference right. 1 Corinthians 13. No, 2 Corinthians uh, just a minute. Yes. What? I've lost my reference here. I've quoted the verse so many times. Um, but, um, just a second. For God will not allow you to be tempted above that which ye are able. There it is. 1 Corinthians 10. 13. Dyslexia strikes again. All right. Okay. And it says here, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Now, here is the problem. When we make a way to escape, what have we already done? We've chosen not to take God's way of escape. And you see, when we cut ourselves off from God's plan, you know, what, what we simply do is we're just postponing more trouble or adding interest to our problems. God makes a way that we cannot allow ourselves, God will not allow us to be put in a situation where we have to sin. If you'll stop and think about it, you will look in your life and you'll find times and places and situations where you just felt like you had no alternative. You had to choose uh, between two evils. You, well, I, I, I chose to sin a smaller sin than a bigger sin. 
I want to challenge you. That's the work of the devil. God never puts you in a situation where you have to choose sin. But, but I chose the lesser of two evils. Yes, but you still chose evil. God doesn't want us to do that. He makes a way around it. He makes a way through it. And here is one of the greatest examples. And, and uh, let's uh, not forget to mention 2 Timothy 2.22 where it says, Flee also youthful lust. Sometimes you just have to get on your running shoes. Sometimes you just have to get out of there. And, and that is one of the ways that God has made. So let's, let's turn to Luke chapter 22. And last Sunday was Easter, and we did not, uh, because of the other topics of the sermons and things, have a lot of time to spend on the Garden of Gethsemane. But tonight I'd like us to take a little time and, and let's just look at the Lord Jesus Christ as he approached the Garden of Gethsemane. You have the story related in all the Gospels. Uh, John chapter 13 tells us uh, of the Last Supper and how Jesus ate the Passover with the disciples. He announced to them that they would betray him that night. Peter says, I'll die with you. And he says, before the cock crows twice, you'll deny me thrice. And then he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. As he walked from the upper room where they had the Lord's Supper, we have John 14, John 15, John 16, ending with the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's true prayer in John chapter 17. Then Jesus gets to the Garden of Gethsemane. And for the next three hours, he is going to pray. Now, how many of you have ever heard this phrase, prayer changes things? I mean, you'll hear that everywhere. I've heard prayer moves the unseen hand of God. Years ago, somebody gave me what was supposed to be a Christian novel. And uh, those things irritate me uh, immensely. Because you cannot make up any story to illustrate the Bible better than the Bible already illustrates itself, my friend. There, there is nothing that is in the human imagination that can enhance the Word of God. But this uh, story had one premise, that God was basically powerless unless people prayed and gave God the ability to do things. That's not the God of the Bible, my friend. The God of the Bible does not need our prayers. God does not need to be changed. He doesn't want us begging Him to do something on our behalf. In fact, the only guy that really did that in the Bible with any success was Hezekiah. And the monster Manasseh was a direct result of Hezekiah's pleading with God that he should have extra time. I'll tell you what, I hope I have the grace to say, God, if you want to take me before some catastrophic monster comes along like Manasseh, I, I want to go in God's time, not my time. Amen? Now, I want to challenge you. How more emotionally distraught and how much more pressure could Jesus have on him than at the Garden of Gethsemane. How many of us are familiar with the story? The Bible says he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. The, the Bible says that Jesus was sore amazed. He told the disciples that, uh, that I'm... Uh, let's just read the, the verse here. Let's go... To, keep your finger in Luke 22, and let's go to Mark chapter 14. And in verse 33, it says here, And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed and very heavy. Verse 34, And he saith, and saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful 
unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, this the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And he comes and the disciples are asleep and he wakes them up and he goes back and prays and he comes back and the disciples are asleep and he comes back after the third hour of prayer. And he says, sleep now. The time preparation's over. And then he says, up, let's be going. You can almost hear the, the, the discouragement because Jesus knows what's going to happen in the disciples' lives because they did not take. You see, when God gives us, quote-unquote, an escape, it's not an escape from reality, it's an escape to reality. Do you see the difference? Jesus dealt, and he knew far better than any of the people who would inflict the punishment and suffering on him, what he would suffer on the cross. When Jesus was done praying, he was embracing that reality. The Bible says he endured the cross, despising the shame. This is the pattern. What do they say about people who endure very difficult situations? Wow, they're a strong person, don't they? When you come through a real tough time, I mean, that's what we say about our soldiers, do we not? Wow. Listen, God will give you the strength not to run from reality, but to embrace it. Because Jesus could see beyond the suffering of the cross and he understood that there was a joy that was set before him. You read the rest of Hebrews chapter 20, I mean Hebrews chapter 12 there and you'll find out that that joy was what we're doing right here tonight, the assembly of the local church. Jesus went through all of that so that you and I could assemble together in his name. Do you know what? Church... People say, oh, you go to church and it's just different there. It's not reality. Whoa, wait a minute. Hey, this is reality. Leaving my burdens and my cares at an old-fashioned altar, that is reality. Being able to trust Jesus with whatever happens in my life. Jesus prayed was one of the ways that he thought and escape. Now let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and Paul is going to describe some of the situations that he was in and how he escaped those. And, and I do want us to realize that never in this life will we be as troubled as the Lord Jesus was the night before the cross. And I dare, that, uh, dare say that many of us will ever get where the Apostle Paul was when he wrote these words here in 2 Corinthians 4. We'll start reading in verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. See, one of the great problems of just escaping reality is that nothing ever gets dealt with. 
Do you know why Jesus brings us in situations where it is the end of ourselves? Did you catch all those words that Paul used there to describe it? He said that uh, we're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. I, I dare say most of us would say, and I will tell you, that there were times during the uh, building and, and renovations over at Union that Brother Mike and I, we were troubled on every side. And we were distressed. You know why? Because we stopped looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and started trying to figure it out ourselves. Well, how do you solve that problem? You confess your sin, and he's faithful and just to forgive you for your sin, and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, and you get your eyes back on Jesus, and you go to work the next day, and get the job done. Amen? Distress. Uh, not distressed. Troubled on every side. The, the Bible says perplexed, but not in despair. I cannot tell you how many times that I've just sat down in my office and said, Lord, I have no idea what to do. That's perplexed. At the end of that, though, I know you have the answer. But you have need of patience. After that, you have done the will of God that you might receive the promise. You know, sometimes God just lets us wait. I like what one preacher said. He said, sometimes God puts you on hold, but he doesn't play nice music. You just have to wait. But here are the choices. I can trust me and what I understand and start pulling my hair out, running in circles, screaming, shout. Or I can say, I'll trust Jesus instead. You say, well, you're just escaping from reality. No, I have a greater reality that Jesus will solve the problem. And you know what? He has never let us down. He has never failed. He has always given the strength to go forward. You see, the greatest problem with all of this escapism, altered reality, virtue reality, is that we despair of what Jesus is able to do and we open the door to our soul to start receiving this stuff into our heart. We lay the groundwork. What is a habit? A habit is a learned and practiced behavior, is it not? Hello? In that definition of a habit, do you have good habits? You have bad habits. But a habit or habitual sin, we might say, is still a learned and practiced behavioral pattern. How many of you have worked on the habit of reading your Bible every day? That's a good habit now, isn't it? And this is one of the escapes. This is what Paul's saying. Everything he says here, he says, we have this treasure in an earthen vessel. God has to constantly remind us of how weak and frail and unable we are. Isn't that comforting? No, it's not comforting. I don't feel good. Well, wait a minute. Because the excellency... What's, it, what's those exact words? I'm sorry here. The excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. How many of you can think of something in your life where you came to the end of yourself and you surrendered and God stepped in and did something? Amen? You see, I don't have to find meaning in my life by being... Mr. Johnny Captain Kill'em-All on the uh, SEAL team that flies the 
Star Wars Death Ship or whatever. The, I'm, I don't know anything about that dumb stuff. And, and uh, I don't have to do that. Because when trouble and difficulty comes my way, I don't have to have the answers. Jesus does. He already does have the answers. We believe that, don't we? And so when God puts us in a situation, Paul was saying, listen, we're, we're troubled on every side. We're perplexed, we're persecuted, and we're cast down. Whenever I think of that cast down, I think of boxing. And you take one on the chin and go down, but you don't go down for the count. What's the Bible say? The just man falleth and rises seven times, but the wicked falleth into perdition. And it goes back to the patience of God with us. He brings us again and again. If we'll just understand something as we're thinking about this, it is something that each one of us are going to deal with. We just try to, okay, it's not that big of a problem. I'm just going to breathe deep and it's going to go away. No, it won't. It'll still be there. What's that one saying? No one buries the hatchet unless they've drawn a careful map so they can find it when they need it. Uh, that's the way the world functions. But when I have these things happen, I start by understanding God's just reminding me how earthen the vessel is. Can we be thankful to God for that? He's reminding me how excellent His power is. That's why He prayed three hours in the garden. He wasn't trying to accomplish anything except show you and I how serious the battle is against the human flesh in serving our Lord Jesus Christ. I've heard preachers preach, well, Jesus was afraid that the devil was going to kill him in the garden before he got to the cross. No. Jesus wasn't afraid of anything. He was setting the example. He wanted you and I to see as much as we can. And just so you understand, it was so traumatic. It was so emotionally moving that the disciples just literally blacked out. They just went to sleep. But he wanted us to understand the cross was not fun and games for Jesus Christ. He despised the shame. Amen? He endured the cross. And he showed you and I how we can escape from any Reality, no matter how terrible it is, prayer is one of those escapes. Trusting God. What did Jesus say? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So often we do that as a cop-out, don't we? Well, Lord, whatever you want. We don't mean that. Jesus did. And we need to start. You see, there is always hope. Why does the world escape from reality? Why do they just stop living and curl up in a little ball and have to be taken to a psychiatric ward and, and all of those terrible things that go on? Why do people do these things? Why do they get so dependent upon alcohol and drugs that they cannot even function we live in a world of functioning alcoholics and addicts. These are people that are constantly under the influence of one or more substances, and yet they function fairly regularly in the world in which we live. And then some of those very same people 
Oh, religion is a crutch. <laughs> Jesus is not a crutch. He's the answer. Jesus is not an escape. How can you get any more real than God? Hello? You can't. And as we talk about all of these things, I read an article, it said, the average person spends four years of their life in an altered state of reality. And what they're talking about is reading books or watching movies or playing video games. And the average person spends four years of their entire life, four, four entire years doing nothing but trying to escape from reality. I think the real figures are a lot higher than that. We all know people who live in a world that's not real, do we not? Let's, let's not join that. The Bible tells me about myself. And you know what? It doesn't say much good now, does it? It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For there's none righteous, no, not one. And that's, that's the beginning. It gets worse. But it tells me that Jesus is the answer to my sin. Jesus is the answer to my weakness. He will live and give me directions to live my life if I will just simply trust in Him. I'm not running away from reality. I'm embracing it. I can understand my weakness. My vessel is very earthen. How about yours? But the excellency of the powers in Jesus Christ. So I need not despair. I am never forsaken. Jesus promised that he would be with me until the end of the world. You see, so then death worketh in me, in us, but life in you. You see, the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's reality. And I don't need to escape from that because I'm already where I need to be. And all God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and Lord, we ask that you would help us to see that so much of what is offered in even what the world would call moderate alcohol use is an escape from the reality of who you are and what you can do in our lives. Lord, I pray that we would not seek to escape from reality, but we would seek to escape to you and what you can do in our lives. We ask you to work in Jesus' name before we finish that prayer. Have the piano play.